Do you ever just get really angry? Me too. Stick around. Let's see if we can get that under control. Can you believe it? It's another episode of Doable Discipleship. I, I can't believe it. It's weird doing this. Jason Whelan looking at me with those powdery blue eyes. My name's Doug blue. Jones. And uh, uh, we're talking over each other a lot already. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, you go ahead. I Okay. Uh, hey, welcome back. We're here <laughs> another week. We're doing this thing again. Um, friends, we talked about this a little bit last week too, but... We wanted to hit this again, and we and we wanted to start by giving a special thank you to. Uh, we have a few new um, likes, and um, what, what was it? What was I talking Do you about? know how these work? User reviews. Yeah, we got a couple new reviews recently. Ratings. Thanks. That's the word I was looking for. Ratings. Yeah, actually, so, yeah, we we got some more ratings. Yes. I don't know if we got any new reviews, but so anyway, we just want to thank you for those of you who who took the time to do that. For everyone else. It's. We cannot even tell you how much it helps the show to give a rating or review or like and subscribe, all that fun stuff. So uh, it would just help us a lot if you took the time to do that. Give a rating review on iTunes if you're listening on the podcast or hit the like button if you are listening on YouTube. That's great. Remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So go ahead and wow, give us one of those. Make it that, <laughs> with the spiritual the nudge there. Uh, and by the way, if you're wondering, this is a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, but we like to call it the show that helps you grow less angry. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we're talking about, uh, well, it's a twofold topic today. We're talking about how to master your anger and how to conquer your pride. And those two things are really, really interconnected. We're going to explore why they're so connected in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll start off on the topic of anger, though, because I know it's a problem for you. I think it's a problem for nearly everyone. Odds are high. So you probably have stuff day in and day out that just ticks you off. Uh, maybe it's family members. You know, it's your kids driving you crazy. It's your spouse making you mad. It was it's the a- refs making the Saints lose again yesterday. <laughs> uh, Doug cannot speak to sports issues, but mm. yes, go team. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's it's your boss ticking you off, or maybe it's somebody that works for you if you're the boss. Maybe it's a friend who, you know, didn't use enough emojis in that recent text to you and so now you use enough emojis or they used all emojis and then you think they're mad because you're like wow or they use conflicting emojis and you're like what does this mean i typed the word croissant this morning and there's a croissant emoji they're always adding new emojis man they're really capturing life pretty soon words will be a thing of the past we'll be we're i think we're reverting back to hieroglyphs actually you know i read an article i saw an article about this the other day actually about about how it's basically a return to hieroglyphs. We're coming full language. circle as a yeah. as a race. Okay, uh, let's look at a verse here, shall we? We're going to be looking as a one of our theme verses for today. Let me just kill this ant on the desk. Okay, it's gone. Oh, <clears throat> don't feel sad. Okay, <laughs> it had a family. <laughs> it's, it's Doug. A circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew five twenty one through twenty two. Let's uh, let's get our serious faces on Jason. We know some people will hate us in the comments if we're if we laugh too much while we're. Looking at the Bible. Shout out to you people. (laughs) (laughs) It says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. 
And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. This is Jesus laying down really, really stern language oh, yeah. on the topic of anger. And, and what's interesting about this command, and it's not the only command like this in the New Testament coming from Jesus, but it certainly stands out <clears throat> that Jesus is not just telling us to do something or not do something. Because most of the time, you know, Jesus has a lot of commands and stuff that have to do with the heart and the condition of our heart and the way we think and those kinds of things. And and we sometimes try to make those things just really actionable and concrete and make them about behavior. But Jesus is going beneath the behavior, and he's saying it's it's not enough just to do or don't do something. He's actually telling us to feel or not feel something. He's saying, don't be angry. Don't feel that way. And this makes it pretty challenging because we have to then figure out, how do I do that? Because our common mentality is that emotion is something that just sort of happens and you can't, you can't control it. There's nothing that you can really do about that, um, which creates a little bit of, uh, that creates some tension for us here. So if, it's, if I can't control it, then how can I be commanded to control it. Yeah, it's hard because anger is is often a, a spontaneous emotion that just that comes up all of a sudden. And oftentimes we feel powerless to kind of stop it, right? Because it's, I don't think there's too many instances where people say, well, okay, that's it. I'm going to get angry now. I'm going to go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's not usually, it's, it's not like thought of and brought out to the forefront consciously or with like premeditated intent. Uh, it's it simply usually arises involuntarily, and the best we can usually do is to minimize the anger's effect on our behavior. So it's like it's, hulking out, you know. It's 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 knowing that you might hulk out, uh-huh. but then stopping it. Right? <laughs> that's it's my the, secret. I'm always angry. Or in this case, it's the that's my secret. I can choose to stop it if I need to, <laughs> um, yeah. which is not often the case with the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Uh, n- and to gain true mastery over our anger, we we have to look at going beyond behavior and into the realm of fundamental transformation. We're getting down into the nitty-gritty of character is what we're talking about, becoming the kind of person who does not get angry at the wrong times. Yeah. That's that's really the idea that we're getting at. And when we're talking and f- f- for the Christian who has the Holy Spirit within you, he gives us the power to do that. That is a, a changing of character as we move forward in discipleship. Yeah. And as we grow, he can work in us to, you know, to assess when things might make us angry or acknowledge that and choose to uh, not. You are a new creation in Christ. And in, in that vein... There is real and genuine hope, not only that you can do different kinds of behaviors, but that you can fundamentally become a new kind of person. The old thing has passed away. A new thing is being created that God has begun to work in you. And and that's why it's possible for Jesus to make this kind of demand on us, saying, don't become angry. Um, Now, let's let's talk a little bit about what anger is. Um, Because there are different kinds of anger. There are. We will discuss that too. Um, I think we can basically name anger like this. It's 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 a strong feeling of displeasure, and I'm sure you're tracking with me so far because yes, it is very displeasurable <laughs> to be angry. It's true, Doug. <laughs> it's a strong feeling of displeasure that arises in response to something that we believe ought not to happen. 
And this can be uh, across all kinds of different things. It could be something like a stubbed toe. You know, you can get you can get angry at inanimate objects. Like you can be get you can get mad when you bump your your elbow on the countertop. You can get mad when the ref calls a penalty against your team when it should not have been a penalty. It was not a penalty. That's true. Sorry, I'm still feeling. It. Yeah, obviously feeling the burn. Go team. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to say. Go you, team. Anytime you make any sports <laughs> reference, go team. Um, you know, and then it, and then it rises all the way up to things like um, being angry at at evil and malevolence in other people. I mean, injustice. we be, we become angry at things like in, yeah, like injustice or um, you know, there's and there's certain things that just really get us too. I, I think it's kind of wired into our minds and into our souls that certain things just really tick us off, like. You know, when someone hurts a child or something like that, that just gets to us in a really Squishes in a really hand. visceral way. Yeah, oh, let's not get into animal <laughs> suffering right now. That's another episode for another day. Anywho, um, so yeah, summing it up, anger is a strong feeling of displeasure that arises in response to something that we believe ought not to happen. And there is a there is some, something that rises in us, like Jason said, really spontaneously that just sort of just sort of comes seemingly out of nowhere. It's like. By the time you even realize you're angry, you're already angry. <laughs> so, like Jason was saying, there's not a premeditation involved where you're thinking, like, "Okay, well, that's it. Bring on the anger, and and here I go." It usually just erupts out of nowhere. And even if you say, "I'm getting angry," you're already angry. You've gotten angry. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> now there there are a couple kinds of anger. Uh, you know, there are probably a ton ton of different kinds of anger, but. I think we can boil down anger from a biblical standpoint around two basic ideas. There's, first of all, righteous anger. And this is, this is legitimate anger that is driven by a proper response to injustice or something that is genuinely and objectively terrible according to God's commands and his own character. So righteous anger is when we become angry at something that we ought to be angry at, that any good moral being ought to object to. These would be cases like, for example, Jesus flipping out, making a whip, and flipping tables in the middle of the temple court when people were, in his words, turning the house of God into a den of thieves and into a marketplace, um, you know, fulfilling the prophecy that said that he would be filled with zeal for God's house. Uh, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of God's own anger um, being aroused against people who are doing evil or disobeying his commands or who are perpetrating injustices against one another. God gets mad, which means anger itself as, a, as, a, as an entity is not an altogether evil thing. There is righteous anger. And it is possible for you and I to experience righteous anger. I disagree with anybody who says any human anger, any of the anger that we feel is always sin-motivated. That is simply not the case. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. You are made in the image of God, which means some of the things that you get mad about, you should get mad over. And in fact, it would be an evil, in some cases, for you to not get mad about certain things. If some terrible injustice was perpetrated against someone, and you felt no uh, feeling of displeasure at that, it would reveal something um, either either a numbness in you that would be alarming or a, a, a deep darkness that made you okay with that terrible thing. So sometimes anger is a good thing. 
I would say sometimes anger is a required response from a disciple of Jesus. We're going to talk through some of those parameters in a second. We will. Yes, thank you for stopping me from belaboring it too much. (laughs) Uh, And then there's a second kind of anger, which is unrighteous anger. You've got righteous anger, you've got unrighteous anger, and that's, let's be honest, the majority of what we feel is unrighteous anger. Uh, And I would agree with anybody who says, yeah, most of the time, not all, but most of the time when we feel anger, it's not because of good, legitimate, biblical reasons. It's because something didn't go our way, and that just ticks us off. Um, We'll talk about what that unrighteous anger is motivated by and that kind of stuff as we continue the conversation. But just know that there are two big buckets. Anger is not always bad, but it often is destructive because we're sinful people. Yeah, so let's talk about some of these uh, areas that we're talking about in regarding righteous anger first. So what are these Christ-like parameters for anger? So, So we have three of them right here. The first is under the rule of love. So that's anger that's not driven by selfishness or hatred or hardness of heart. That is making sure that it is it, that it is driven by love, and that's that's how it's and that's how God expressed anger. That's how Jesus expressed anger. That's how we are called to express anger is under the rule of love. The second is that it's properly measured. So that means that it is that is it's neither too much nor too little in forms of our anger. So we don't exceed our anger and in proportion to what was done. So we don't go like above and beyond and seek mass retaliation. Right. Nor do we just get, oh, that makes me, you know, oh, darn it. <laughs> that's that's upsetting. Yeah. So it's 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 being appropriately angry um about the appropriate things. And then the third part is is that it's tempered by faith. And this is perhaps the biggest one is that we must trust in God's providence and justice. It's knowing that ultimately God is it, is the judge and that injustice ultimately comes from God and we are not to go out and be a vigilante and uh yeah. and try to make justice happen it, vengeance belongs in the way that we Lord. want to vengeance belongs to the Lord exactly yeah. right <clears throat> so you know we're talking about getting a grip on our anger today and to be honest <laughs> this is just one episode we're we're not we're not able to do like a complete like uh, a complete breakdown of with full anger, case studies, with and case studies, <laughs> and, which honestly anger deserves. Um, but we want to <clears throat> try to get kind of doable with things today, and uh, we're going to keep talking about anger, and then that's going to overlap into our conversation about pride and and humbling ourselves. But I think mastering our anger, and you know, I should probably say I have not yet mastered my anger. I still get plenty mad uh, about lots of things. So just know that as I'm talking here. I'm speaking as one who is in the middle of this, and I suspect you probably are too. So um, just kind of, let's just examine this together, and just just as we're talking, just reflect on this and think about whether this rings true to you and whether this may be helpful to you. Uh, but I think Master Our Anger comes, comes by slowly working backward. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is usually when we start off, we, we, once we recognize that anger is a problem for us and that it's that it's um, yielding bad fruit in our lives, we usually start off by trying to get a grip on the behavior that is the outer manifestation of our anger, right? So maybe you're the kind of person that when you get mad, you start raising your voice and shouting. Or maybe you're the kind of person that you get mad, you look for something to hit. Or maybe you're the kind of person when you get mad, you decide to withdraw and 
distance yourself from everybody and sort of cut yourself off from the world, whatever the case may be. Lots of different outward manifestations of anger responses to it. And one of the first things we try to do when we're trying to get a grip on that is get the behavior under control and say, okay, well, I used to be a shouter, so I need to get that shouting under control. And then maybe you kind of dial that back a little bit and the anger is is a little bit more contained. Um, But then we have a problem, though, because we are still left short of Jesus's command to not get angry. So just because we may have mastered some of that outward behavior where we're not flying off the handle and um, hurting things or hurting people or shouting at others doesn't mean that we aren't still experiencing the harmful effects of anger on our heart and on our soul. So yes, we can eventually create new habits of thought that channel our feelings of anger in ways that don't result in outward obvious sin. But that still, like I said, leaves us short of Jesus' command to not be angry in the first place. And I think as I've kind of been experiencing this progression on my own on my own spiritual journey, I think the next step is is we have to start to contest the feelings when they first arise inside us. Where okay, we got some of the some of the ugly behaviors now under control, but I have to get now beneath the surface, and I need to ask myself some questions, some penetrating questions, and, and, and begin kind of meditating and reflecting on my anger and getting a grip on that. And a few of the questions that, that I think are helpful to ask, that, that are helpful to me, I don't always ask them because sometimes, uh, as a sinful dude, I just <laughs> sometimes just wallow or relish my anger a little bit. Some of that's my personality type, some of that is just my immaturity. But a, a few of the questions that are helpful in that area would be, one, why am I feeling this anger? I think that's a really good preliminary question. Okay, oh, yes, I'm feeling that anger. Why? Why is this being brought on? And, and maybe a follow-up to that would be, what is it about this situation that I'm in or this relationship that I'm in that's causing this feeling to escalate? Why is this a growing feeling? And then I think another big one is, is the anger that I'm feeling righteous or unrighteous? Is this a legitimate, valid feeling of anger or displeasure against something that ought not to happen? Or is this anger driven by something that I simply wish wasn't happening, that isn't good for me or doesn't bring me happiness or doesn't serve my purposes? Is it a selfish anger or, like Jason said earlier, an anger that's driven by love and driven by a um, a delight in in moral goodness? And really, when you start to ask yourself these questions and take the time to be introspective like that, really what we're talking about is emotional health. Mm-hmm. It's taking that time to to do some self-reflection. And, yeah. so, and, and we've talked about those a, a few times. We actually have an episode called The Emotional Life of a Disciple. Mm. Um, yeah. That could be good to go back to. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Pastor Tom has given some good advice in the past that I think is pretty helpful. He says, when you get mad, just pray. He's like, it's okay to complain to God, by the way. <laughs> you get ticked, someone cuts you off on the freeway, you can express that frustration in a conversation with God, and that it gets a, it helps you to vent those feelings of anger in a way that is not outwardly destructive, and that actually, that actually um, can then be brought to bear on your relationship with God and your conversation with Him. So that's one really great way to start mastering your anger. But I think these questions are helpful, um, but the, the, the real goal here— is to get beneath the behavior and down into the the situation in your heart that's bringing about those feelings. It's allowing those feelings to exist. And with time, I've seen this in in, in many areas. I, I you know I have not mastered this uh, in fully, but I've seen a progression happen in me where 
the more I reflect on my anger, the more I think about those feelings that I'm experiencing, the more they tend to subside. There's something about putting mental parameters around something that reduce its impact on you. Because anger can be, especially selfish, unrighteous anger, can be a very animal-like response. Like you just, you lash out. It's not carnal. really, it's carnal, it's it's fleshly, it's it's uh, something that just sort of leaps out of us. It's not a result of of will or thought or... Um, any of the higher functions of human beings made in the image of God. It's something that comes out of us at a really kind of guttural level. And the more you start bringing your higher level thinking into the into the conversation or into the situation, the more you will gain a grip on your um, on your anger. You become a student of your own heart and your own mind, and you begin to understand what triggers your anger and then how you can diffuse it early on. And eventually, as you keep peeling back those layers of the onion, getting deeper and deeper, you start getting down to the core issues that are really at play here. And one of the core issues that is always um, that is always influencing our unrighteous anger, which really, let's say, is that, that's the anger we're really talking about today. That's the anger we're trying to stop. We don't want to stop the righteous anger, that there's a proper place for that. But one of the core issues that's always... Uh, influencing our anger is the issue of pride. And if we really want to master our anger, we've got to learn to humble ourselves. Pride and anger go hand in hand. And so to understand what it means to conquer anger, we have to understand what it means to humble ourselves. And to humble ourselves, to understand what it means to humble ourselves, we first have to have a good understanding of what pride is. And uh, pride is the opposite of humility. So, yeah, you want to humble yourself? Well, the only way you do that is by mastering your pride because pride is the thing that – pride is the antithesis of humility, the antithesis of love, as we've talked about on the show before. We've talked about pride a number of times. <clears throat> That's because it's like a huge issue <laughs> that I still that I still struggle with. And um, while we've talked about it a few times, I think I think it, it bears covering with a little bit more um, – I think it just bears a little bit more covering, especially in connection with this discussion about anger. Yeah, it's it's always wise to talk about pride, and it, it, and even if you've heard us talk about it a lot before, it serves as a great refresher. So pride is, in essence, an attitude of the heart that places primary focus on the self. It is, it is literally self-focus. It is putting yourself at the center of everything. A proud person is one who, who is preoccupied with himself and his own needs, his own desires, and his own concerns. It's basically, it's this idea of, of, of making sure that things are working well for me, and it's, it's putting myself and my needs and my wants ahead of anybody else's. Yeah. And pride is, well, as, as far as I can tell, pride is the root that lies behind every kind of sin. It, um, and this is something that we've talked about before on the show too, but it, it's pride is the exclusive love of the self. It's an infatuation with the self. It is meaning, it is, as I said, it's putting my needs above all else and my interests above all else. And when our love for ourselves outweighs our love for God and for others, then we take what we want or what we feel we deserve. And that's the place where sin really easily starts to creep in. Anytime that we've put ourself above God and herself above others, that in itself is sin, and it leads towards other areas of sin as well. It brings a mindset that I deserve something. Yeah. It, 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 it has 
Pride has a an internal and undying sense of personal worthiness. It's, and and it, this is gets so dangerous because then we justify the sins that we do when we indulge in something we think we deserve to feel this way or we deserve yeah. to have the enjoyment that this sin will bring though it's of course temporary and damaging. We have uh, a proud person has this sense that I ought to have something that I am important and that I should have something. And when we adopt that mindset um like Jason said it can lead us to all sorts of vices including anger. Yep. Um, which is what we've been talking about. So, and, but uh, pride is everywhere. It, it can be extreme, but it can be extremely hard to diagnose because it can manifest in so many different ways. In fact, you, you might be thinking, oh, "I sure know some proud people," but yeah. that's not explaining me, or it's not <laughs> describing me. Right. Well, let's let's just look at some of the symptoms of pride in one person because they may appear directly opposite to the symptoms in somebody else. So the pride that you may, you know, see in somebody else doesn't mean that you don't have pride yourself. It just might look differently mm-hmm. um, than the other person. So some people behave religiously because of pride, while others may disregard God completely. So, for example, you can look at the Pharisees as examples of of pride being shown and demonstrated ultra-religiously, but at the same time, a proud person might say, uh, I don't need God. I don't need religion. Um, I, I know what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And those are two different areas of pride that are, that were, it's the, it comes back to the same thing, which is pride, but it is showing itself in two different ways. Yeah. Um, another example is some may be respectful and considerate of others due to pride, while others may be flat out rude and self-absorbed. So this is another area where pride can look differently, where a person can be overly respectful and overly considerate because um, they want to appear a certain way, or they can say, I don't care what other people think. It's all about me and making sure I get what I want. Hmm. Um, outright and unashamed pride is <laughs> actually is less ugly and dangerous than hidden pride. What? Wait, but that person looks so much... No, wait, hold on a sec. Yeah, that person that looks like a true <laughs> scoundrel might actually be a little bit better off than you. Yeah, let's let's look at this. Concealed pride is called hypocrisy. You've heard of this word before, and, and, and maybe you've always just thought of a certain group of people as hypocrites, but what hypocrisy is, is concealed pride. It's not recognizing it, yet calling it out on others. Mm-hmm. And it was the thing that Jesus opposed most furiously in the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, yeah, because they would would he adhere to all of these religious laws and would accuse other people um, of breaking these laws while not having the trueness in, uh, of what Scripture was teaching in their hearts. He called them whitewashed tombs because they looked good yes. on the outside but were stinking, empty on the and gross on the inside. Um, outright pride simply is is what it is. It's outright pride. Well, hypocrisy shows not only pride, but a deceitful effort to disguise it. It's it's double-sided right there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it adds evil to evil. It adds evil. Exactly, exactly. Essentially, what you're doing is you're lying to yourself and lying to others and lying to God and trying to say that, no, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, you know. Yeah. Um, and arrogance and self-pity appear opposite, right? Yet they 
are both outgrowths of pride. Arrogance is the one hand, and self-pity then is the other hand. Yeah. And both of these really come from this place of pride. Yeah, whether it's, these are two examples that seem so polar opposite, like you have an arrogant, you know, mouthy person, say, on the left, and then you have person B on the right who's, you know, so self-deprecating and is me, thinks so me, little yeah. of themselves and blah, blah, blah. And yet both can actually be equally um, equally sinister versions of pride at work. John Piper um, wrote a book called Desiring God and many, many other books, but um, Desiring God is a good one. And he has a quote in there that just it, it is just so razor sharp on this particular topic. He He's talking about the dichotomy between arrogance and self-pity. And the way he puts this is just, I think, so smart. So I'm going to read about a paragraph out of his book, Desiring God. Again, this is John Piper. <clears throat> Here's what he says about these two, two different versions of pride. He says, boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I've sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Boasting sounds self-sufficient. Self-pity sounds self-sacrificing. The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego, and the desire is not really for others to see them as helpless, but as heroes. The need that self-pity feels does not come from a sense of unworthiness, but from a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It is the response of unapplauded pride. I, I think this quote uh, just peels back the layers of of our attempts to show different sides of ourselves and conceal our pride and conceal our our infatuation with ourselves and shows that no matter which side of the spectrum we may be on in terms of outward look, that pride is at the core either way. Pride lies in the motives of the heart and can show itself in lots of different ways. And one of the most common ways that pride shows up, as we've said so far, is in anger. Because proud people are so focused on themselves and their own happiness and their own well-being that they become angry when things don't go their way. They feel that everybody else, as well as all the circumstances of life, should recognize how important they are and come together to give them everything that they want. This is the feeling of anger that we feel when um, we don't have the money we want or we don't have the job that we want or we don't have the relationships that we want or we don't have the whatever. And when things inevitably don't go our way, anger, and sometimes really intense and long-lasting anger, can be the result. So how then do we humble ourselves? How do we humble ourselves? Well, the Bible offers quite a few helpful verses about this, but they all basically boil down into this notion that we must change the way we view the world, change the way we view other people, change the way we view God, and change the way we view ourselves. It's going it's 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 this place of surrendering 
how we may be inclined to view things, and usually that's through the prism of ourself, but instead it's 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 looking at how God wants us to view the world, other people, God, and ourselves. It goes back to the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. That, that's the prism of which that we are supposed to view things. And... Um, when we do it that way, and when we adopt that vision, um, that will help us then enter into this place of humility. And we have to train ourselves to honor God as our creator, as we see in Isaiah 64, 8, in Romans nine twenty one. And then we must train ourselves to exalt others and esteem them as highly as, or higher than, ourselves. And we get this glimpse um, of Paul talking in Philippians 2, three through four. And that's just make it's putting ourselves in a place not as, not up on a pedestal, but recognizing God's position and and recognizing that we are his creation and that we are creation and we are, and we are above nobody else. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's this attitude of recognizing that as you said, God is our creator and that we are shoulder to shoulder with, with everybody else. Um, it's, I think conquering pride has to do with reclaiming a clear understanding of where we fit into the world, yeah. that God is the master. Those, those verses that Jason referenced, Isaiah 64, 8 and Romans 9, 21 are verses that talk about the, the potter and the clay yeah. in the Bible. And there are many other verses like that. A lot of, there's, there's a favorite motif of, of the prophet Isaiah. So there's lots of other passages from, from, from his writings. Um, but this idea that the the potter is the one who has the sovereign right to order creation as he sees fit, to make the clay however he sees fit. You know, and he says things like, you know, who is, you know, what right does the clay have to turn to the potter and say, why have you made me this way? Or you're foolish or, or whatever, which is what we, um, the kinds of things that we maybe not explicitly, but implicitly say or feel when we get angry at the way things are in the world. Uh, and then of course that Philippians verse is about, about uh, not being concerned with only your own interests, but taking interest in other people's in in other people as well, and and uh, not thinking too highly of yourself, but um, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Paul says, "Yeah, and it's important to frame this as we're not talking about a false modesty here." Yeah, is you know that if you approach things from a oh I'm just gonna I'll put on a nice face and I'm gonna pretend like I care about others more, mm-hmm. um, that's that. That is a facade. That that is a is the mask of, of a pretender who is deeply interested in himself, but who wants to convince you otherwise. And uh, friends, you cannot hide from God. Yeah, <laughs> we've talked about this a whole ton, but it bears repeating. Yeah. Is is God knows your inner heart. God knows all of your thoughts and your feelings, and you cannot try to just put on this act yeah. um, and expect it to go unnoticed. That's that, a that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. You may you may successfully deceive absolutely everybody else on the face of the earth, even yourself, even yourself. But God will not be fooled by that. He'll see right through it. He'll know what your true motives were. Um, and so it's important for us to begin looking at ourselves with the same sort of penetrating eye that God looks at us with, and start really assessing the condition of our heart. C.S. Lewis talks about humility in a, a really eloquent way. He 
and this is from Mere Christianity. Um, probably is, well, I'd say it's definitely probably his most popular book. I don't know, the Narnia, the, there's a lot of popular ones, but Mere Christianity is probably the go-to theological and philosophical work that he's got. And he um, he kind of describes what it would probably be like to meet a truly humble person. And they do exist, by the way. Jesus is one, but there are, there are people in the world who really have... Um, who really have grown to the point where they walk in significant, maybe not total humility. Um, hard to imagine that that's entirely possible while still living in in this flesh. But um, who have grown to a point of of a very high level of humility. And this is what he describes it as. And it's, it's interesting because he tries to point out that it's probably not exactly what you would expect a humble person to be like. Here's what he says: <clears throat> to get. Uh, to even get near humility, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think of him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do not, uh, If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And that, that last line uh, really kind of seals the deal. I think humility is defined best as a self-forgetfulness. It's not that you don't exist. It's not that you aren't important, because, of course, you are important. That's a theological truth that's established in the Scriptures. You do matter because you're a human being made in the image of God. Don't forget that. But also don't forget that everybody around you is also an important human being made in the image of God and designed for a relationship with Him, and that God has ultimate authority, and that we should accept His His sovereign direction over our lives. So we can we can make progress by changing... Uh, the way we view the world, the way we view others, and the way we view God and our relationship to Him. But we can also make progress by changing our internal dialogue. And this is one that's been helpful for me over the years, although those who know me really well would still attest to the fact that I have still a long, 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 long way to go. (laughs) Don't ask my wife. (laughs) Um, But words words have significant shaping power over us, and the things that we repeatedly tell ourselves can dramatically alter our ways of thinking. We can create habits of thought. Um, so some questions would be, do you speak and think highly of others or only of yourself? Do you affirm God's authority and sovereignty in your heart? In, in the deepest places of your soul, do you accept and receive God as the authoritative ruler over your life and over the whole world? Um, do you receive and trust in God's love and provision for you? I, I think that's, a, that's one that a lot of people struggle with is, is, is life doesn't go quite how they thought or how they would like, or they're not, you know, they look at themselves and they think, okay, uh, this is where I am in my life. This is how, this is my age. And I really thought I'd be further along in this area or that area by now. So it's easy to become frustrated and angry and feeling like, doesn't God see that I'm a pretty good person? And don't I deserve this and that? And don't I deserve to make progress in these areas? Haven't I earned that? Those kinds of things. And what it reveals is sometimes uh, an anxiety and a frustration about where we are in life, feeling that God owes us more. 
and we doubt that God is going to provide for us and, and take care of us, and we have an inability to accept the place in life that He has for us and to walk in sort of the light-footed way that Jesus describes when He says, don't worry about what you'll eat, don't worry about what you'll wear, don't worry about what you'll drink, God will take care of those things. Sometimes we either struggle with God's promise of provision or we're dissatisfied with His provision. We feel like He should be provisioning us with a little bit more. <laughs> and it's like I don't the, think you got that number right there, guys. Yeah. Add a zero, Lord. <laughs> well, it's like uh, you know, it's like when the Israelites are are wandering and they've been Manna. taken out of Egypt. What? It's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, they've seen the most incredible signs and wonders as God has taken them out of captivity in Egypt and and is now leading them onto the Promised Land. And what do they do when God makes magical food from heaven <laughs> appear on the ground <laughs> every day. Water like, from the uh, rock. Uh, what again. about my latte, Lord? <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And, and and literally built into the built into the manna provision is an inability to take extra. Yeah. <laughs> go, go back and read the story. It's in Exodus. I can't remember what chapter. Which is daily. Man, it's literal daily. God says, take what you need for the day. And if you take any extra and try to save it for the next day and stockpile the stuff, the second you wake up in the morning, you'll discover it's all full of worms and, and is disgusting and has gone bad. It will only last for the day. And um, this is kind of a, a, a picture of the way human beings like to stockpile because we, we don't want enough. We want more. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this, is, this, is a, this is an attitude that we've got to learn to overcome, and it's one that I'm learning to overcome as well. But we have to get to the point where we're willing to say, God, what you provide me with, you have ordained as enough for me, and I need to receive that. And I need to know that, um, that you're achieving your purpose in my life and that I shouldn't be looking to others and saying how much they have or how much they get and desiring that for myself. That, that, that way lies sin and hatred and anger and <clears throat> and pain and <clears throat> and distance in our relationship with God. So, anyway, should we talk some doables? It's doable time, doable time. It's doable time, doable time. It's time for this week's doables. Wow. Huh? You yeah. like my song? Uh, wow. Okay. All I can say is wow. Okay. Um, first off, yeah, is 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 we actually have a great series coming up here at Saddleback. Um, Ed Stetzer is a friend of Saddleback. He's spoken here a number of times, and um, he just wrote a new book called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And so he is going to be coming, um, I think, for like the month of October. And um, so he and Pastor Rick and some others Preacher in residence are going to be. I think Ed's is doing two of the four weeks on this topic, but they're going to be talking about this this topic of, of Christians in the age of outrage, and basically how are Christians supposed how are how are we called to live in a culture that so quickly turns to outrage, mm. um, and it's, it goes it get, dives deep into what we've been talking about today on how Christians should handle anger versus righteous anger. Mm. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to be a really cool series. I mean, that, that's just such a countercultural thing right now. The idea of being uh, content and being, a, and being a peacemaker in a, in a crazy world, in a crazy culture where, every, where everyone's ticked about everything. Yeah. Um, that, that should be a beautiful thing. Don't miss that. Uh, now, for you 
personally just this week. When you start feeling anger rise up, and you will probably before the day is out. Well, I don't think the Saints are playing again, so I think I should be good. <laughs> yeah, go team. <laughs> <clears throat> Ask yourself three diagnostic questions, uh, the ones that we covered earlier, whenever you feel that anger start to start to well up. First, ask yourself, why am I feeling this? Is this good anger or not? Um, well, actually, that's the last question, so forget that. <laughs> why am I feeling this anger? <laughs> Second, what is it about the situation that's ca- causing this feeling to escalate? <clears throat> and third, is the anger that I'm feeling righteous or unrighteousness? Uh, is this a good anger that is warranted by God's commands and by God's character? Or is this uh, an evil anger that's coming purely out of my own pride and self-interest? Think about that. And then take the time to pray and ask God for help as you master that anger. If you will develop the habit of praying when you get angry, you will see your anger subside. It is very hard to feel ticked in a selfish way and then step into God's presence through prayer and not have that anger um, kind of sopped up a little bit. You know, like <laughs> like that last sure. bit of soup and a breadstick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really nice way of thinking of it. Just think of your anger as like a hot uh, pasta fasool, and you're just going to... Now I want breadsticks. Sop up the last... Yeah. Ah, breadsticks, so good. Let's get Olive Garden for lunch. Ooh. (laughs) If only. Uh, All right. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Comment down below with your thoughts. Uh, Tell us what you... Tell us what helps you with with your anger problem, because we're learning too. Uh, We hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app, so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.